Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for today. I pray that you will give us wisdom, that you'll give us guidance, that you'll help us to know and to understand what you want us to learn from today's lesson. God, help us to walk away different people than how we walked in, closer to you, more encouraged, more inspired, more determined to live like your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, someone once said that Jesus borrowed just about everything he had on earth. He borrowed a place for his birth. He borrowed a house to sleep in. He borrowed a boat to preach in. He borrowed an animal to ride in. Uh, as he entered Jerusalem, he borrowed a room to privately meet with his disciples for the Last Supper. He even borrowed a tomb when he died to be able to die in. Generally, he was the creator of the universe. It says in Colossians 1.16 that all things were created in him and through him. So everything was created, but he owned nothing. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 tells us, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. He left heaven, the place we all want to get to, rich and yet became a servant, lowly, nothing. Why? For us. You know, there was a hymn written about this very thing. It says, they borrowed a bed to lay his head when Christ the Lord came down. They borrowed an ass to mount in the mountain pass for him to ride into town. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore was his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed a room on his way to the tomb, the Passover lamb to eat. They borrowed a cave for his grave. They borrowed a whining sheep. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. You know, that's a great song, but there's one thing about that that I, I, I disagree with, and that is this. Even the cross that he died on wasn't his. It's a great song, but yet, who did that cross belong to? Now, I'm going to take you deeper here today. Barabbas. Now, think back to this, Barabbas. Barabbas is perhaps one of the most infamous people in history. Think, you don't know anybody on the planet Earth named Barabbas. Nobody names their kids after Barabbas. Nobody even has the nickname Barabbas. He was notorious. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew 27. Now you were right, but I'm going to take you there because you said it was our cross. Yeah, yeah, but we got to see what the Bible says about everything. Matthew 27, verse 16. Look at how this describes Barabbas. Because what little we know about him is known in the Gospels here. Matthew 27, verse 16. It says, At the time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. It says he was notorious. Notorious means widely and unfavorably known. Everybody in the whole city knew who Barabbas was. It says in John 18, let's take a couple of looks at what the Gospels say about him. John 18, verse 40. Barabbas, who is this guy? 
John 18, verse 40 says, They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. He was a notorious person, unfavorably known. He started a rebellion in the city. And then look at what it says in Luke 23, verse 19. Luke 23, verse 19. Well, verse 18, we'll start there. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Insurrection was a revolt, an uprising against the government. So this guy was a a rebel, started a rebellion, started a revolt in the city. He murdered people. He was known throughout the city as a murderer, an uprising. Some, you know, as in Luke 7 where it talks about the sinful woman and everybody in the town knew about this sinful woman uh, who, you know, cried at Jesus' feet and washed her feet, his feet with her hair. Just as everybody knew about her, everybody knew about Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. You know, he was one that... You wouldn't stand near him if you were walking down the street because you didn't know if he'd snap and kill you for no reason. He was somebody that started rebellions. He was a thief. I mean, he was notorious, the Bible says. And everybody knew him. So he had a reputation. So we're thinking about Barabbas. It's like, okay, so how does this play into the gospel of Jesus? Well, what happened at this point? Pontius Pilate comes into the story. Now, Pilate was the Roman governor in charge of Judea, and his job was to keep peace in the Roman province. But the Jews were a difficult people to rule over. Pilate didn't like them, and they didn't like him. Now, when you have somebody like that that you don't like and you have power, what you do is you normally do things to offend them on purpose. For example, he would take their money from the temple and buy different things that he wanted. He would have the people march in the city with banners that represented what the Jews would look at as idolatry. He totally did not like them whatsoever. Yet, he continued to live the way he did, and he had numerous executions without a trial. And that's one reason why they brought Jesus to him, because he could just kill Jesus without a trial. It's just up to him. Look in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Pilate was not a favorable person. It says in verse 1, Now there were some present at the time and told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifice. So there were some Jews who were sacrificing to their God. Pilate comes in and kills them. And their blood is everywhere, and he just lets it mix with their sacrifices to their God. This was a detestable thing, and all the Jews heard about it and knew it, and they hated Pilate for what he had been doing. Well, if you live like that, you're going to get a reputation after a while. And Pilate's reputation had become known back in Rome, and Caesar did not like what Pilate was doing. 
But that was Pilate's job. It was, he was, his job was on the line to make sure things stayed at peace. So here comes Jesus coming to town. And Pilate didn't have anything against Jesus. Now Jesus had crowds of people with him, but those people didn't do anything. They didn't cause a problem for Pilate, so Pilate didn't care. Jesus didn't mess with Pilate. Pilate didn't mess with Jesus. They were cool. But the Sanhedrin, they hated Jesus. Those religious leaders, those rulers, they hated Jesus. Because Jesus frustrated their power, their prestige, their authority, even to the point that they said he must die. But the Sanhedrin, all those religious leaders, they didn't have any power to kill Jesus. So what did they do? They took Jesus to Pilate, who did have the power to kill Jesus. Look in chapter 23 of Luke, Luke 23, verse 1 and 2. You follow me so far? Luke 23, verse 1 and 2. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Christ, a king. So they bring Jesus to Pilate and have all these accusations against him. But Pilate was not a dumb person. He couldn't get to the position he was if he was a dumb man. Look at Matthew 27, verse 15. Matthew 27, 15 through 18. So they brought Jesus to Pilate, but Pilate was like, mm, I know what's really going on here. And in verse 15 it says, Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. They brought Jesus to Pilate and had all these accusations. And Pilate's sitting there like, I know y'all lying. Y'all just mad because this man is destroying all your money and your popularity. He says he knew it was out of envy that they was handing Jesus over to him. So Pilate had a problem. How do you handle this crisis? Pilate's thinking, I know the real reason why y'all handed him over, but this is what you're saying. So do I do what's right by letting Jesus go? Or do I make sure you guys are happy because if I don't please you, you're going to send word back to Caesar. I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to have any place to go or any place to work. How am I going to live? I got to keep my job so I need to become a people pleaser instead of doing what I know is right. Because the Bible said he knew it was out of envy. And all of a sudden the crowd is starting to chant, crucify, crucify him. So Pilate is sitting there thinking, okay, wait a minute. This thing is about to get nasty here. I got to make a decision. I got to do something. So then Pilate has a brilliant idea in his mind. He says, you know what? I have the power to release somebody. So I'm going to go into my prison and I'm going to find the worst prisoner we have. Who could that be? Barabbas. Why? Because everybody knows he's a murderer. He started a rebellion. He's a thief. You know what today is? Today is the day that we were killing murderers anyway. And that's why we have three crosses. 
for this murderer and this thief, and the middle cross is for Barabbas. Because he is the worst of every criminal we have in our prison. So let me get Barabbas and bring him out here. Surely they're going to say, release Jesus, because we all know how bad Barabbas is. So he brings both of them out there, and he's like, okay, I got this all worked out. I know y'all going to want Jesus to go, because this guy here needs to die. I feel like killing him myself. He needs to die. So he gets them out there and says, okay, who do you want? And they say, release Barabbas. You know, Pilate was like, what in the what? what? Because there's no way Barabbas should be the one getting up. That cross was made for Barabbas. Because this was the day of executing murderers and thieves. Think about it. When Jesus went to the cross, who was he in between? Murderer and a thief. So the worst of them was in the middle as an example, which was Barabbas. So this was a cross made for Barabbas. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, verse 9 through 11. Pilate Pilate just knew they were going to ask for Jesus. He says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. These chief priests were so angry because they were losing their position in the city, their money, their reputation to Jesus that they said, you know what, we have got to kill this man. So, they decided to start this situation so Jesus would die. The cross was made for Barabbas, but Jesus was the one that had to bear that cross. It wasn't his, but he took it on. Now, is this an accident? Did this just happen to be that way? There's nothing in the Bible that's just an accident that just happens that way. It wasn't a coincidence. There was a reason why Jesus took Barabbas' place. Think about it. He could have took one of the other two people who died on the cross's place, which we don't even know their name. But Barabbas, we do know. Because there was something about Barabbas that made him one of the central focus points of the gospel. You think about it. Barabbas is talked about in all four of the Gospels. You have the woman who gave the copper coin. Great, tremendous heart. It's only in two of the Gospels. You have Lazarus who raised from the dead. That's only one of the Gospels. Barabbas is in all four of the Gospels. What is so special about this situation that God said, I don't want anybody to miss this? First thing is this. Jesus was the son of God. You're like, whoa, I didn't know that. I know you knew that. Jesus was the son of God. Well, well, what does that mean? Let me tell you. Look over in John chapter 10. This is one of those lessons you got to stay awake, Claudette. Stay awake. You can't drift, girl. You're going to miss it. 
That would be helpful, wouldn't it? John 10, verse 25. John 10, 25 through 30. Says, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says this, and all those religious leaders, they knew what he was saying when he says, God and the Father, God the Father and I are one. It offends them. Look at how they responded in verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? They picked up the stone because they knew what Jesus was saying. When Jesus said this, what he was actually saying was that he was the Son of God. And you got to hear what I'm saying. Jesus is the Son of the Father. The Son of the Father. Now, in Mark chapter 14, in verse 35 and 36. Mark 14, 35 and 36. says, going a little further, this is Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it is possible that the hour might pass him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus calls him Abba. This is something that, a, a term of endearment that children say to their fathers. Now, Again, let me ask the question. Whose cross was it that Jesus borrowed when he died? Barabbas. Now, Jesus is the son of the father. Barabbas, his name is interesting. It's made up of two different things. The first is Bar, meaning son, and Abba, meaning father. Barabbas' names literally mean a son of the father. Thus, you look at this, Jesus is the son of the father, Barabbas is a son of the father. Now that's incredible, because again, he could have died for either one of those other two people on the cross, but who were they? We don't know. But whose place did he take? A son of the father's place. Now what's the point of this? Because this drives home the whole message of the gospel. That's why Barabbas is in all four of the Gospels, because this is the message God is driving home. The message is you deserve to die, but yet Jesus is coming to take your place. Look at Romans 5, verse 7. Romans 5, verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Was Barabbas a good man? Nope. Of course not. He was known. He was notorious. He was a murderer, a thief, a rebellious person. And see, sometimes we get caught up in this very thing, and we say, you know what? I know I'm a little rebellious. I know I have that tendency in my character. I know, and we take it so lightly that you don't realize what that really is saying when you say, I am rebellious. I have it in my character. You can be a notorious murderer like Barabbas. Do we take pride in that? I'm just a little, I have that tendency to murder people. But why do we have that tendency to be rebellious and not deal with it the way the Bible calls for us to? Everyone knew that Barabbas was evil and that he should die. Yet Jesus took Barabbas' place. Jesus died for Barabbas. Jesus died so Barabbas might live. That's what the whole gospel is summed up in one situation. Barabbas was a great example of what the gospel is about. Jesus died so he could live. See, here's what it is. Barabbas, a son of the Father. That's who Jesus died for. So you know what? If you're a disciple, if you're a son of the Father, Jesus died for you. You are Barabbas. And until you grasp that, you will never grasp the gospel. Until you grasp that is who I am. I am a Barabbas. I am a son of the Father. I am a daughter of the Father. Not the son of the Father. That's Jesus. But Barabbas is a son of the Father. See, there's a lot of a sons and daughters of the Father in here. And that's who Jesus died for. When Barabbas of that day, we are the Barabbas of that day. Loved by God. Died for us. Like earthly Barabbas, we messed up. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he also says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we all deserve to die, but Jesus died in our place. So what does this mean? This means Jesus borrowed your cross. Barabbas, You're, you were right when some of you said it was our cross. Yes, back then physically that was Barabbas' cross. But today you are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. So he died for you today and who you are. And see, a lot of us don't want to acknowledge that because we don't want to be named Barabbas. We don't want that name. We don't want nothing to do with that. But you got to understand, Jesus died for sinners. And if you can't accept that you are a sinner, then Jesus can't do anything for you. If you can't accept you are a Barabbas, Jesus can't do anything for you. We sing the song, Jesus can fix it. Fix what? If nothing wrong with you? Oh, I know I'm a little rebellious. I got some pride. I deal with anger. I got this. No, that's who you are. We make it sound like it's a, like a piece of clothing, like we put it on and take it off. No, that's who you are. You are an angry person. You are a prideful person. You are a rebellious person. And until we accept that, there's nothing Jesus can do for you. You look at the other two people that died on the cross with Jesus. 
One of them still didn't take responsibility. But the other one did. And you know what? That's the only one Jesus could do something for. The one that took responsibility and said, this is who I am. See, if you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus, a part of what we're doing, understanding it, what are you waiting for? You need to study the Bible and get into the waters of baptism and get your soul saved. The only thing stopping you is you don't think there's nothing wrong with you. You don't think you're Barabbas. So you don't really need that. You know it's good. It's important. I mean, all, all up in here. But that's not your heart to accept responsibility. And see, that's what the world teaches us. You don't have to accept responsibility. I was amazed. There was a brother that told me one day, it's not my fault nobody taught me how to take responsibility. What? How much more blaming somebody else could that be? It's not my fault nobody taught me how to take responsibility. Mm. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which Christ prepared, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, each and every one of us were created in the image of Christ. He put forth so much work to create you in his image. That alone tells you you have value. He values you enough to create you in his image. And not only that, he sent his son to take your place so you don't have to be punished, but to have eternal life. What more does God need to do in order to get your attention and to tell you to live for him? He created you, he let his son die for you, and he wants to give you eternal life. Now, if he's given us all that, why is it so hard to wake up and have a quiet time in the morning? Why can't we pray every day? Why are we still angry with our spouses? Why do we not come to every meeting of the body? Why, let, me, let me be more clear. Why do we not come on time to every meeting of the body? If he's continually doing thing after thing for us, but yet we sit back and have excuse after excuse. The real question is, do you see yourself as Barabbas? Because Barabbas was set free. Let me close with this. According to legend, after Barabbas was released and Jesus took his place, he went back to doing what he had always done before, being a criminal. He went back to stealing and killing. 
For after a while, he was captured again. This time, he was placed in exile on a prison island, and the prisoners could be identified by an earring they wore that bore the mark of Caesar, that they were now his property. Now, by this time, Christianity has spread across the Roman world, and many of the prisoners on the island were Christians. As Barabbas worked side by side with these Christians, he began to learn how this Jesus was the Jesus that literally died in his place on the cross. And the message so shook him that he eventually gave his life to Christ. To demonstrate his change, he scratched off the emblem of Caesar from his earring and replaced it with something else, the cross. A symbol declaring that he now belonged to Jesus, not Caesar or anybody else. Even Barabbas could make a change for God. Jesus borrowed your cross to die. He died for you, died for me, so that we might live to glorify God. As we walk out of here, we need to realize my role now is to glorify God. My life, my family, my job, my school, everything I do needs to have an attitude of gratitude because of what Jesus did for me. Even when a notorious criminal like Barabbas came to his senses and realized who Jesus is and what he did for him, he changed. How much more should we today? Jesus borrowed your cross to die on. When we hear Barabbas, we need to understand that means a son of the Father. We need to walk out of here with our heads held high, being proud to know that I am a son, a daughter of the Father. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.